The text for this morning's sermon is found in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we are not contending against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, against the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the equipment of the gospel of peace. Besides all these, taking the shield of faith, with which you can quench all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that utterance may be given me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. As I've done my yearly survey of the Bible teaching on prayer in preparation for prayer week, I've been impressed like never before that God has given us prayer not as an intercom for civilian use to increase our conveniences in our secluded cottages, but as a walkie-talkie connecting the headquarters of the general with the transportation lines and the field hospital and the frontline artillery. It is not a bell. Ding-a-ling-a-ling-a-ling, bring a pillow. It is a strategic transmitter given to those soldiers who will walk into battle so that they might call in fire cover when they need it. I think that's obvious here in verse 12 through 18 of our text. Verse 12 says that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against Satan. Then Paul calls us to arms. Take up arms! And then, in verse 18, he says, Pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. That's, that's combat talk. Stay alert. Persevere. Don't go to sleep at the trigger or with your finger on the transmitter button. Then I started to think that this isn't the only place in the Bible where this idea of prayer as battle strategy. There's an unlikely text. Turn with me to John chapter 15, a familiar text that you might not have thought of in terms of strategic use of prayer. But the more I thought about it, the more I was persuaded it is. John 15, verse 6, Jesus is speaking. He's talking to his disciples. He says to them, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, 
that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Now, it's that word so that that arrested my attention this week. What does that mean? I think it means this. The reason the Son of God has given you a mission is so that you might experience answer to prayer. If you go AWOL on your mission, don't count on prayer getting through. You see, prayer in this text is a gift to fruit bearers. It's a gift for battle. It's a transmitter. It's as though Jesus called around him his lieutenants, and he's the field commander, and he says, Men, the Father, the general, has given a mission to you. Go rescue people. Go defeat sin in your own lives and in the world. Push back darkness. He aims to see this mission accomplished. To that end, he has authorized me to give each of you a transmitter. So he pans out these transmitters. This transmitter is coded to the frequency of the general's headquarters. Anytime you need cover, anytime you need counsel, push this button and call for help. That's the picture of prayer here. It is not an intercom in our chalets by which we summon servants to add pillows to our convenience. It is a battle strategy. And I'm convinced that one of the reasons there are so many questions, so many problems, so much weakness in prayer is because we have taken a military strategic device and turned it into a civilian device by which we try to surround ourselves with increased conveniences and comforts. And it starts to go, and doesn't work anymore. doesn't get through. It isn't designed for that. There's a text in Paul that seems to say something very different and contradictory to this battle imagery about prayer. And I want you to look at it. It's in 1 Timothy 2. Verses 1 to 4, because it really doesn't, if I understand the text correctly, really doesn't contradict this idea that the reason God has given us prayer is to do battle. But let's read it and see whether this is the case. 1 Timothy 2, Paul says that he wants people to pray for kings and for people in high positions And the reason he wants us to pray for them, he says, is that we may lead a a quiet, peaceable life, godly, respectful in every way. Now, that sounds very domestic, very unbattlefield-like, doesn't it? But read on. The reason for praying this way goes like this, verse 3. This, that is, this praying for peace, is good. And acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. God has a strategy 
and his strategy is to save people from every tongue and tribe and people and nation. Satan has a strategy for preventing God's mission from being fulfilled. And you know what it is? War. Revolution. Anarchy. Because he knows that if he can create the threat of war, if he can create upheaval in the Middle East, upheaval in Central America, the strength, the energy, the attention, the creativity, the concerns are sapped off onto a decoy. Because the real battle of the universe is not against flesh and blood. Nuclear arms and cannons and guns are all flesh and blood. That is not the battle of the universe. And Satan loves to put out decoys. And so Paul says, listen, you get on those transmitters and you pray to the general that he prevent Satan from succeeding in putting out decoys that divert your attention from the real battle for men's souls. That's what this text means. Pray for kings and governors and legislators so that they make policies that are just and peaceful and don't divert the attention of the church into war and conflict and anarchy. And revolution. Satan's very smart. If he can't divert our attention from one battle, he will try to create another decoy battle. Well, Jesus has given us a mission. And my conviction at the beginning of 1985 is that the reason he's given us prayer is to fulfill that mission. We are here on this earth not to make money, not to raise families, not to buy houses, not to get jobs. We are here to push darkness back and let light shine wherever and in whatever we do. And to that end, he has given us transmitters to call for help and to get strength and wisdom to do the task. If you check out, if you go AWOL, if you go on to inactive duty, don't expect the transmitter to work. Expect it to send out all kinds of weird sounds. Expect it to create theological problems. Expect it not to get through. Expect confusion, trouble, weakness in your prayer life. But if you sign up, if you seek the kingdom first, it'll work. In the most recent issue of World Christian Magazine, David Bryant tells a story about a Hindu social worker who came to this country, stayed in his house with him and his wife. And one night he decided to take her to a friend's house who was a Christian and hopefully expose her to some authentic discipleship besides in his own house and Lord willing, lead her to Christ. On the way, she decided to witness to them about the Hindu faith. And she held a picture up and showed them this picture of a guru who died 45 years ago to whom she and her family pray. And, she's, and, and David Bryant blurted out, but he's dead. And she said, oh, no, no, no. He answers our prayers. My life is surrounded by blessing. I have things so good because I have this guru to whom I pray. When he got to the house, he was hoping that his friend would say something Dynamic and crucial and 
radical and helpful. And they sat down at the dinner table and David Bryant was dismayed when his friend said, and here I quote, great house, isn't it? I know I put a lot more into it than I can ever hope to get out of it, but I don't mind. We plan to be here the next 45 years anyway, God willing. We're so thankful. The Lord has blessed us in so many ways. I don't know what we'd do without him. And the next morning, David Bryant sat out in his backyard saying, Is that all that prayer's for? Is that the only difference? Some things go better with Coke. Some things go better with Christ. Some things go better with a guru. Just pick and choose whatever makes your conveniences most. Let that be your God. Is that the meaning of prayer? And then a little bird came down, splash into the birdbath behind him. And he said, it was a gift right from God because it sent his mind spinning off to Matthew 6. Be like the birds, don't have any anxieties. And he said, yes, that's true. We are supposed to be surrounded by peace, clothed in the Father's arms, no anxieties about anything. But why? To seek the kingdom first. Let everything else be added. You seek after this, 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 and this, and let the kingdom kind of be added as icing on the cake, and your prayer life will go to pot, and you will say things as banal as this social worker and that Christian. The theme of prayer week is the weapon and the wielding power. The weapon I have in mind is the one in Ephesians 6.17, Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And the wielding power that I have in mind is verse 18, praying in the Spirit. Take the sword of the Spirit. Praying, it says. There is no new sentence that starts in verse 18. The English versions do that to make it read easier. In the original, it simply says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying. In other words, praying is the way you take the sword of the Spirit. It's the power that wields the weapon of the Word of God. That's the truth that has gripped me and is governing most of what I think about in these days of preparation. Next week, we're going to talk about how prayer wields the weapon of the Word in fighting sin and unbelief. Today, I want to do something in the time we have left That's just the opposite. I want to talk about the sword and the weapon and the effect it has back up onto the wielding power. The word of God is not a a cold, lifeless sword. It is, according to Hebrews, alive and active. When you pick it up, it just shoots right up your arm with electricity. It changes prayer. If prayer reaches for the word to pick it up, to do battle for God... Prayer does not stay the same. The handle of the word of God is alive. It's got electricity in it. It changes this arm. And that's what I want to talk about. And there are five ways that the sword affects the arm or the power of prayer. And we'll zip through these fast and uh, you store them away for pondering later. Number one, the weapon of the word serves the wielding power By revealing a God who delights in the prayers of his people. Proverbs 15, 8. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination, but the prayer of the upright 
is God's delight. I don't think anything should encourage us more to bow our heads in extended prayer this week than the thought that every time we do, God loves it. You remember that picture in Revelation 5 where there's the throne room, the 24 elders and the four living creatures have fallen down before the Lord in worship. Each has a harp and each has a bowl full of incense, which it says are the prayers of the saints. Now, what's that mean? I think it means that when we pray, it's like stirring up some kind of brew or some kind of... uh, appetizer or meal that God loves and the aroma of the meal from down in the kitchen of the palace ascends up into the king's chambers and he smells it. He says, that's good. I like that. What is that? That's prayer. But if prayer is the aroma ascending from the meal that we're preparing, what's the meal? What does God eat? It says in Psalm 50, Do I eat the flesh of bulls and drink the blood of goats, says the Lord? No. And therefore offer to God the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon him in the day of trouble. You know what God eats? He eats answered prayer. I know that sounds funny. Because how can you eat answered prayer? Answered prayer is going that way, not this way. No, it isn't. Not merely. You see, God is unique in a class by himself. He has no needs. You don't meet any of his needs. He is no less God when you cease to exist. God doesn't need you. He is full. Well, what gives him pleasure then if we can't? Delight his heart by adding to him. You know what gives God pleasure? Spilling over onto you in mercy. He loves to magnify his fullness by spilling over onto his people and answering their prayers. The meal of God that comes after the aroma of prayer is his answer to your prayer. God smells it coming up through the stairways. He says, hmm, I like that. That's prayer. That's a person who's looking to me for satisfaction. I will now satisfy my longing to be God and pour out my abundance upon him. God eats answered prayer. If you want to feed God, need God. Second, the word encourages us to pray by commanding us to pray. Once you have learned that the kind of God that is revealed in Scripture is a God who satisfies himself by satisfying you, it changes the way you read the commands of the Bible. It shifts you out of legalism gear into grace gear. You look at the commands of Scripture and you say, well, now those commands can't be that he wants me to do work for him to meet his need. So what they must be is the command that I be the kind of person who lets God be God. That's all the commands of Scripture are. Be the kind of people who will let God be God for you. 
who will let God be your reward, your hope, your joy, your power, your defense, instead of looking to the world for your joy and your hope and your power and your defense. Thou shalt not steal. Trust God to supply your needs. Thou shalt not lie. Trust God to get you out of this pickle. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Trust God to meet your longing for intimacy. Do you see that every commandment in the Bible is a command to be the kind of people who will let God be God to you instead of trying to find mud pies in the slum to eat on this earth? Third, the Bible or the word or the sword encourages you to pray by giving you spectacular promises. Let me just mention one. It's so simple and so stunning. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock. And the door will be opened. For he who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. For which of you who has a son who asks you for a loaf of bread will give him a stone? Or if he asks you for a fish, will give him a snake? Well, if you then who are evil, isn't Jesus blunt? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, will not your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? That is stunning. It does not say He will give you exactly what you ask for. It says He'll give you good gifts. The genius of prayer and the secret of faith in prayer is to believe with all your heart, Romans 8.28, that if He doesn't give you what you ask, He gives you something better. If you trust him. Fourth, the word encourages prayer by giving spectacular stories that kids love about answered prayer. And I'm a kid and love them all. Stories about answered prayer. It tells a story about Jesus praying all night. Picture him. It's 8 o'clock, the sun's going down, he walks off into the wilderness, leaves his 12 behind, finds a rock that he can lean his elbows on, bends down, and he doesn't get up for 10 hours. Or maybe he stands up when his back starts aching and he walks to pray. He looks up into the stars. You know what he's praying for? Which of the 70 should be the 12, Father? Give me wisdom. They're the foundation of the church. They're going to be the 12 pillars in the city of God forever and ever. Please, 12, 10, 8 hours, he prays. And he rises and he appoints. This is Luke 6, 12. He appoints the 12 apostles and they change the world in an unimaginable degree. He tells the story of Solomon who prays earnestly, give me wisdom just to rule this people well. And God answers him with such insight that people came from all over the world to hear the wisdom of Solomon. He tells the story of Elijah who wanted it not to rain and he got it. His prayer was answered. No rain for three years. Then comes the battle with the priests of Baal on Mount Carmel and he cries down fire from heaven and it burns 
up all the water and the bulls and the wood. And then they all go, and he's alone on Mount Carmel with his servant. Go out to the edge of the cliff and watch the ocean. I'm going to pray. And he prays seven times. Nothing, 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 nothing. I see a cloud about the size of a man's hand, and before he could get to Ahab, it was raining. And James says, he was a man like you. Every one of you. That's what James says. James says, when you read that story, get hope in your prayer life. Stories are told in the Old Testament to give us hope. And my final way that the word affects the life of prayer and helps it is that the word provides words for your prayer. John 5, 14, I think it is. Yes. If we ask anything according to his will... He hears us. If we know that he hears us, we know that we've got it. You've got to pray according to God's will. You know what the best way to assure praying God's will is? Pray God's word. Fill your praying with the word of God. And so as we close, you see what, what's happened? There's the sword. It's lying there. It's full of electricity. And here's the arm of prayer. Reaching out. It takes the sword and there flows up into this arm power, words, so that no longer do you think in terms of my arm, my prayer is the power that wields the sword of the spirit. You think that the sword of the spirit is wielded by the power of the spirit because the word of God has infused me with his own power. So that it is from God and through God and to God that all things are. To God be glory forever and ever. So in summary then, do something radical in this week. Life is such a drag if you do the same thing year in and year out. If you hear somebody suggest an all-night prayer meeting and you say, I never did that. So you don't. Isn't that stupid? I mean, you would all be like Barnabas today if that were the case. If you didn't grow, if you didn't change, if you didn't try new things, if you didn't stretch and pull and do something radical once, and who knows what might happen after that. Sameness, cookie-cutter Christianity or cookie-cutter years are boredom. There is a mission out there to accomplish, and I beg you to try something new. And to urge you in that way, let me summarize. The word serves the wielding power by revealing a God who eats answered prayer and loves the aroma when you prepare the meal. The word of God serves the wielding power when you hear its commandments, commandments all of grace that you would let God be God in your life. The word of God serves the wielding power when you read its promises and realize how spectacular and unspeakable are the promises made to the praying people of God. And the word of God helps when there are stories and you have the imagination to put yourself into one of those stories and say, I'm like Elijah. I've got a mission. I'm of the same nature as him. God's going to not take away his transmitter from me. He's never going to leave me alone on the battlefront. I can send messages to him and conquer and let the stories of the word thrill you with hope. And then finally, let your prayers be filled with the word of God. Pour the word into your prayers. And if we go hard after God like that this week, 
It'll change the year. And now may the Lord who delights in the aroma of our prayers and who feeds himself on the glory of answering them pour out a spirit of prayer upon us in this week and all through 1985. And all the praying people of God said, Amen.